I want to be strong, to have the flexibility and confidence to play soccer with my kids or volleyball on the beach. I want to feel energetic and spontaneous with my husband. I want my body to feel the freedom to move and enjoy life, to hike Yosemite, surf in Hawaii, bike to the beach, to have fun with friends and not be limited. I want to do things that love my body, to feel and experience all the sensations of life. I want my body to be a force in nature that overcomes difficulty and resistance. I believe in health and wellness and daily consistent exercise. Anne Kreil is a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Pasadena, California, who specializes in both accelerated experiential dynamic therapy for individuals and emotional focus therapy for couples. Today we will be discussing how our closest relationships and our emotions are intertwined. Welcome, Anne. Thanks, Beth. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yes, it's great to have you in the podcast studio today. It's fun to be here. <laughs> Good. Well, tell us about your journey to become a marriage and family therapist. Yeah. It was a little bit of a curvy journey, to be honest. I'm a second career therapist. My my background is very different than where I started. But during um, my 20s, I was involved in some volunteer work that had an arm towards mentorship, especially for young women. And I found during the course of that mentorship program that a lot of the really important and good questions that I was getting from my mentees were around these important relational questions, like how do I balance work and my marriage or work and parenting? And now I'm in this sandwich generation between caring for aging parents and my younger kids, and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so many of the undertones of that were around support and the quality of their closest relationships and feeling like they had someone who was in their corner around it. And I quickly realized I didn't have um, the training to be in those really important questions and in those conversations in a, in a way that they needed. So that was going on in the background of what does this look like? This is something I'm really interested and passionate about, but I also feel like I need more to be able to help them. And at the same time in my personal life, I had an experience, a Me Too experience that was quite difficult and led to me being in therapy. And through that process, I began to connect with my emotions and in a new and really profound way and realizing I'd been pretty disconnected most of my life from them. And it started to transform how I, how I was with myself. And I could make sense of these things that had felt so overwhelming before. And it started to transform my relationships. And I realized, wow, this is like a missing piece that so many of us don't have. And it felt like something like this dovetailing with the question I was getting around how do I help these women. I felt like this is what I want to do with my life. So I decided to um, go back to community college while I was still working and get some of the prereqs done and start to see, like, do I really like this work? The more courses I took, the more I fell in love with it and ultimately decided to go back to graduate school. And that's Mm. how I became a therapist. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. So what led you to specialize in emotional-focused therapy? Yeah, I think that came out of, well, first, the background that I had that brought me into the field was around this quality of relationships and thinking about we really are as healthy as our relationships are. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to do something that had a systems kind of a family or marriage focus to it. And EFT is a couple's model to start with. And I joke with my friends that I knew I wanted to be an EFT therapist before I actually even knew what graduate school program I wanted to go to. Um, And the reason that was is that when I was visiting graduate school programs, one of them that I ultimately ended up studying at was Fuller um, Theological Seminary in Pasadena, where I practice. 
And I had the good fortune of sitting in on a class there. I was sitting in on their marital therapy class. And the professor, who's now one of my dear mentors, was lecturing on EFT. And I was just so enamored with what I was hearing. It just felt so true and right. My friend who was with me on the visit laughed at me as I pulled receipts out of my purse and was taking notes on the back of my receipts. Like, this is just such good, rich stuff. And it feels so right. In a time when I was hearing so much in kind of the classes I was taking for prereqs around marital therapy models that were also showing they weren't sticking in terms of results. We were hearing like, it's great to learn communication exercises. It's great to have some help, you know, um, getting ahead of some of these like parenting and budgeting and like how to set limits with our extended family. Those are great skills to have. But if that's all we offer, when couples leave our office, they often find themselves back stuck. Um, And EFT was getting to the core of it and saying, let's help people understand what's the music, what's the dance underneath this. And all those other problem stuff, we'll help them with that, but they'll really have what they need um, to be able to strengthen their bond and be able to face it as a team. So what is EFT? Yeah, that's such a great question. (laughs) And I laugh when I say it because on one level, it's a really, really simple model. Um, And then on another level, I mean, there's been volumes written about it Mm -hmm. and so many trainings that have come at it. So I will try to do my best uh, to keep it succinct and small, but I just recognize that there's also a lot of complexity in the model. EFT is an empirically validated couples therapy model that comes out of the last hundred years on two kind of distinct fields that we started to realize were actually quite interconnected. Um, The first is what we know about relationships specifically what we know about how we bond and connect as humans and how that is hardwired in us, that we have some patterns in who we are as humans that are universal and that we need human connection and that our primary way of meeting that is through attachment. And at the same time, there's this really exciting field of research that was going on on the role of our emotions and getting to know how, what do emotions do? How do they function in our bodies? Starting to realize like, oh, we're not thinking beings that feel inconveniently. We're actually feeling beings that think and that these emotions have some quite, quite sophisticated logic about them. And they also have a strong social bend. And we started to realize like, oh, our emotions and our relationships and our attachment are very much connected. And so EFT lies at the kind of intersection of those two disciplines of, okay, we as humans, are hardwired for connection. That's something that we need across the lifespan. It's a human basic need that we see in parent-child relationships, a baby knowing like, hey, I need my mom here. I'm feeling like scared or uncertain. We're seeing a child on the playground that like wants to go play, but looks back to see her mom and dad watching. If I go down that big slide and I get stuck, will someone come care for me, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That we also need that in our partnered relationships too. And the reason for that is, you know, we know from an evolutionary standpoint, we're much more likely to survive as a species if we can collaborate and connect and have good social relationships. We're also a lot more sure to make it if we know someone has our back. Mm-hmm. And so we don't outgrow that need, but that we found a way as a human species to meet that need for connection through attachment. Mm-hmm. So that's the backbone of EFT. So how do we go about, I mean, for me, actually, emotions are harder for me Mm. to experience. Um, So how do you help people? I mean, so say someone, for example, Mm -hmm. me, Mm -hmm. I have a hard time uh, knowing what I feel, Mm. under feeling what I feel. Um, And the reason is, is that feelings tend to slow me down. So uh, I, I, you know, 
do a lot of things. I'm uh, very uh, quick and efficient, mm-hmm. and I can organize. And if I experience my feelings, which mm-hmm. I know I need to, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy you're here today. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's it really does make me slow down, which is probably what I need to do. Um, but why are our emotions important to listen to? Yeah. So again, there's so much to say here, right? I would say my quick answer is there'd be so many things I could, so a shorter list of things I could say about why not to listen to our emotions. But what we do know, the, the, the most um, basic piece that we, I could say about emotion is that it is our body's hardwired organic system to tell us, it's an alert system to tell us when there's a change in our environment that has some impact on what's most important to us what's gonna interfere with our survival, or what's gonna interfere with our thriving and our health. And so paying attention to our emotions there is actually tuning into our body's wisdom that's going to move us towards the things that are best for us. And then if we can slow down and pay attention to the wisdom there, we can often get some really important data around what's good for me, and because we also know emotion is the lifeblood of intimacy, what's good for my relationships too. Mm -hmm. That often what's happening when couples come into my office, they'll say on the phone, you know, we're having these difficult moments around communication or sex or parenting or finances. And when we peel back the layers, nearly all of those conflicts are around my sense of closeness with my partner. Do I feel like you're, we're really a team here? Do I really feel like you accept me as I am? That if I sh- you know, shed some of my more protective layers and you see me there and that we're in this together, that you're gonna still be here. Mm-hmm. And if I feel like there's a threat to that closeness, of course I'm gonna respond to that emotion that comes up. And often the protective strategies we use there start to send off signals to our partner that actually lead to more distance and disconnection. Right. And that's the tricky thing, right? Mm-hmm. But for many of us, we haven't gotten the right help making sense of our emotions. So it makes sense, like you were saying, that they feel like they're like something that's going to slow us down, and that even if we slowed down and paid attention with them, we might not know how to interpret them or that someone would be able to help us with them, and so they feel inconvenient at best and dangerous at worst. Right, and if you really sit in your emotions sometimes for a while, you can really be sad or angry or irritated some of these emotions that most of us don't really want to feel mm-hmm. right but it's good to feel <laughs> right because there's a call to action in mm-hmm. most of them right mm-hmm. when you said sadness I was thinking even you know just in the last couple of weeks I had flashes back to being with clients where someone was able to express in the room with their partner some sadness that they maybe hadn't let themselves feel or definitely hadn't shared with their partners before this and nine times out of 10, before I even can say anything, the partner has reached over and grabbed their hand, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like, there's a different interaction happening in that place where they probably came into my office fighting and at each other's throats or, like, at least tense, you know? And now the sadness is telling us this is, one, what I need. It says something about the comfort I may need or the reassurance if I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Or the anger might tell us I need some distance in this space, like something really violating is happening right now. Um, and that gives us a lot of important information, not just for ourselves, but for our relationship. And it can be a source of bonding connection. Mm-hmm. So how do you help people hmm. with their emotions? How mm-hmm. do you help them tune into them? Mm-hmm. What's some ways you do that? Yeah. The first thing is to slow down. Like you were saying, like that's the, you know, we all kind of know that organically is to pay attention to, oh, even for me to ask, what are you noticing that you're feeling in your body as you talk to me about that right now? 
our bodies are our most reliable emotional map. So if we can slow down and notice any sensation that might be there, there is some universality to um, where our emotions show up kind of across the board in broad strokes, but there's also a lot of uniqueness in that. So if I'm sitting with someone and I say, as you're telling me about this moment that was so hard, that you felt so anxious about, um, what do you notice? And they might say, yeah, I can feel like flutters in my stomach. Okay, can we stay with that and get to know it a little bit more? And as we get to know it, the curiosity might come, right? Have you noticed that before? When were the times you felt that? What might your body want to do right now? Does it want to get up? Does it need to move? Is it, you know, wondering what your partner's thinking about this? That sometimes is what's coming up in couples therapy too, is I'm nervous sharing this part of me because I don't know if I've gotten messages before that my emotional parts are not welcome. If that's kind of been some of my story, either in my family or in other important relationships, it's really hard for me to open up here. Oh, so it makes sense why you'd be anxious here. So could we slow down, make sense of that, and could we find some way for you to start to be able to share even what that nervousness is with your partner, something you may not have shared before. Sometimes when we aren't comfortable with our emotions, especially our more vulnerable ones, we tend to have developed feelings about feelings, right. <laughs> so, right? Like, I don't like how this feels. I'm frustrated I feel this way. And, you know, and that's what I show in my partnered relationship, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't like feeling this vulnerable with you right now, and I'm angry about it. And that sends off cues that I'm angry with you. And then the tricky thing is, is that my partner has, you know, their own emotional alert system that's telling them about changes in their environment, especially about our connection. Yeah. And then they're responding to me being angry and is like, uh-oh, my, my wife's angry with me. What does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. And then they might have some feelings about that, and all of a sudden we're caught into a loop where we're responding to kind of a more protective emotion or coping strategy rather than sharing what's going on at a heart level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's very insightful that yeah. you develop emotions about your emotions. Yeah. Because I would say that happens to me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, all of us, right? Like that's... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what symptoms do you see in individuals who are emotionally disconnected mm-hmm. from themselves and what types of problems can develop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, I would say two things. One, there's tons of research um, coming out. There's new research coming out every day, it seems like, around uh, emotional connection to ourselves. But then also, can we talk about that emotion in our most important relationships, which feel distinct but also quite connected? What I would say is the outcomes are showing more and more um, traction, that we are the most healthy when we can pay attention to what's going on in our emotions, and that looks like, cardiac um, outcomes, blood pressure, uh, stress hormones, and the levels that in our in our blood, uh, wound healing, if we feel like we have a better sense of our emotions and have someone we can talk about that with and be vulnerable with, we heal from things quicker, we heal from surgery quicker. There's also this really interesting field of research that's just coming out that I've seen a couple of studies on uh, related to tracking the um, connection between digestive health and things like IBS and what they're um, understanding is emotional granularity, which basically means like how much awareness do you have of your emotion and what kind of language do you have to be able to identify what you're feeling and express Mm -hmm. it. And that they're finding there's some um, relationship between our digestive health and our ability to talk about and notice 
um, and, and pay attention to the signals our emotions are sending. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And research. Yes. And I just heard about a research study within the last week about uh, what the heart does in, in the aftermath of grief. Mm-hmm. We all kind of know, probably have had a family member or a friend or have heard stories of someone who a significant partner or a close family member passes away um, and they can come, they can fall ill or become quite sick afterwards or even pass away. And it's what we know as broken heart syndrome. They're actually seeing, their cardiologists studying this idea that the heart changes shape and size. It balloons in the aftermath of grief. It actually is less healthy after that. Um, They don't know exactly what to do with it or how, you know, like they're still studying it. But they know that widows and widowers who have a place where they can process their grief and they get some social support, their heart actually goes back to the size it was before and the functioning it had before. But without that, it can stay, it can stay compromised. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of implications um, in, in our health, our physical health, our emotional health, and certainly our relational health. I mean, that's, that's the, my wheelhouse uh, if we aren't paying attention to these emotional signals and getting the right help with them and being able to talk about them. That's really good. I like what you said about language, being able mm-hmm. to find language, because I yeah. find that a lot just in physical therapy that people can't quite find the language for the signal that they're experiencing. Yeah. And usually the reason why I see them is they're com- they're complaining of pain. Yes. So the word they can find is pain, but there's so much underneath it that it's, you know, pain is almost kind of like this garbage pail big term that a lot of doctors and medical people understand or they'll you have pain okay go to physical therapy but the pain is it's emotional it's social it's psychological I mean there's a there's so much underneath that and then to help people find the language for the pain right experiencing yeah because pain in the brain it's all the same right emotional relational physical pain all registers and starts in the brain right Mm -hmm. that's right Um, and so if we can start to tease out you know are these moments where your body is sending distress signals for a good reason, right? When right. It's, send, it's, it's doing the work to tell us that something doesn't feel right, it's worth slowing down and paying attention to. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that looks like, oh, my body's letting me know I'm in a situation that feels like a situation I've had before that mm-hmm. didn't go well, and I need some help and some reassurance that it's not going to go poorly like it did last time. Right. Sometimes it means there's about to be tissue damage, which is, you know, your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can look like even in, in my role of saying, let's pay attention to what's happening. When you tell that story, when mm-hmm. I hear that story, let me, would it be okay if I share a little bit about what I'm feeling in my body? If you're mm-hmm. not quite sure what's going on for you, as you share that story about that moment when you weren't sure, um, if there was anyone who was going to come play with you on the playground, I start to feel sad. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that resonates. And there we can start to build a, a language. Right. So it's not such a lonely experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. It is a pain is a very lonely experience. Yeah. And if we haven't had the right kind of help with how mm-hmm. to sort through, that's the tricky thing with emotions is that I think for lots of good reasons, we've been focused on all these other indicators of health. And this is one of those pieces we're coming back to. Um, but often we come, we come up in experiences where people just aren't given good resources mm-hmm. on emotional health. And so they find themselves in a place where it's like, oh, I've had a lot of emotional experiences. We all have. And I didn't get the right kind of audience. I didn't get the right kind of support to help me make sense of this and to feel like I could ride through it mm-hmm. um, and know what's, what, what to make of these signals that would move me towards health. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
Can we talk a little bit about um, interpreting bodily sensations? Sure. So uh, what to do when your body is having, you know, unpleasant sensations Mm -hmm. and how to interpret that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a place where I would, I again would say like, yeah, let's let's honor that. Your body is working very hard in that moment to tell you something is not right. So let's you and I walk together there. And then let's see if we can find some way, If I'm, especially if I'm working um, with couples, to say, can we find some way as you and I get to know this and we start to unpack it a bit and slow down here and notice what's happening in your body, notice what, you know, what history there might be here, Often these kinds of signals come, they're not just a flash in the pan, they're not just like right here, right now, but they might have had um, some story behind them. Can we understand the story? And can you stay with it long enough to kind of distill and get to know it? And then can we share it in a way that brings your, your partner, the person who you want to be an ally in it, into that process in a meaningful way that can start to create a corrective experience? So the pain isn't the last note. That's not the end of the story, mm-hmm. but it actually facilitates a, mo- a movement towards something that feels a lot more um, healing. Yeah. No, that's good. And I think probably for each individual, these signals, I mean, we probably interpret them differently, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, just something that you're experiencing, say, even, I mean, what I experience, you know, people come and say, I have shoulder pain, and they've been, their doctor says, you know, it's nothing uh, life-threatening, go CPT. But then when I start talking to people, there's no incident, there was nothing, no mechanism that of injury, mm-hmm. there was no fall, there was no trauma, you know, this pain just kind of showed up, mm-hmm. it's really random, yeah. nothing really specific causes mm-hmm. it. And then I come to the end of my, you know, as a physical therapist, I can look at all the tissue and rule everything out. Uh, but then they're still left with, but my shoulder hurts. You know, I had a woman who um, I saw, and she, every time she raised her arm up, um, lying down only. Mm. So if she raised her arm up to, like, you know, right out to her side when she was in bed, her shoulder would hurt, mm. but not standing up or any other position. Mm. Um, and then as I was working with her, we came to realize the pain started when she lost her husband and mm. he's no longer laying next to her in bed on the side mm. that her pain is. Yeah. So sometimes through lots of conversation and trying to understand that yeah. um, and realizing this isn't, a, I mean, it's your body is keeping the score like that book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But um, yeah. the issue isn't in your tissue. Right. We need to help you with your grief right. and that would be another discipline right and that yeah. makes me think of the study I shared earlier right mm-hmm. is can she find can we find the right resources for her mm-hmm. to be able to talk about that right the pain is real her body you know I'm, I'm not sure you know about the, like in this case what her heart would have looked like or things like that mm-hmm. physiologically uh, but the pain is real um, and I'd be curious with her if she were working with me or with someone else how does it feel when you're talking about your husband or missing mm-hmm. him when you're with someone do you notice a shift in in the pain does it get bigger does it get smaller what is it like to have someone walking through those hard moments with you and seeing you know can we find some way of undoing the aloneness of this experience because it that can be some of the the hardest part is a a feeling on its own is is hard enough but if I don't get help with it that's a really debilitating helpless place 
Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I never see the people after. I mean, because uh-huh. once I figure out it's not, you know, a tissue issue right. <laughs> and it's time to move them on to another discipline, mm-hmm. I don't get to see them afterwards. So mm-hmm. that's interesting how you would move them through something like that. Yeah, I would be curious and noticing, even paying attention to the sensations in the room. What's it like to be talking about this with me right now? Um, and paying attention to even those kinds of signals live real time. Mm-hmm. They can start to tell us, like, are we on the right track? Mm-hmm. Or do we need to change something? Maybe we need to, you know, maybe we need me to move further back or move further closer with my chair, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, they can all be kind of part of the process of feeling like, oh, someone's really here tracking this and helping me with this hard experience. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about... Um, how emotions impact our relationships. Mm. So I think for me, that's where I can sometimes get stuck with emotions Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, I might be feeling something and I can see how it's going to impact this other person. And I think I was kind of raised uh, where you hold your emotion in to, for the health of the group. Yeah. So I was raised more in like in a, um, uh, Filipino culture where uh, the, it was all about the family so you don't necessarily share because it's going to impact the group so how do you help um, people when they maybe have learned or been taught to hold on to their negative emotion because um, maybe you know their primary caregiver or someone mm-hmm didn't help them express it and the emotion wasn't welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I I so appreciate what you were saying there because my first thought was, well, there's always a story, right? Mm -hmm. When we start to not trust what our body's telling us or what our emotions are telling us, that's rooted, that has a face, that has a name, that has a timestamp or a story that Mm -hmm. goes with it. And so to start from a place of just honoring that with my clients of saying, right? Mm -hmm. This, the, you didn't come by this without, um, without cause. This kept you safe. This helped you kept, stay afloat. This kept you connected to people who are really important to you. And so developing this strategy in this context made sense. And so let's honor that. And at the same time, let's look at what's possible in this context with here with me, or if we're here with your partner, here with your partner, there might be more flexibility here. Your, part, your husband may want to know more of your heart in those mm-hmm. places. And there might be different resources here. And so to start, first start in a place of saying, yes, so many of us come from experiences that tell us we need to contend with our emotions all on our own. This is for you to figure out on your own. No one's going to be able to help you here. And so it makes all the sense in the world in that space to say, okay, I'm going to tuck this away. This is not helpful. It's not convenient. And it actually starts to tear at the fabric of my connections, which are way too important for mm-hmm. me to threaten, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the face of the Again, back to the attachment piece, in the face of a threat to connection, when, when you're a little one, your parents are like it, right? They're mm-hmm. everything. If I feel like I'm going to get shamed or I feel like I'm going to be ostracized in any way um, or I'm going to be left alone with this or rejected um, when I share these feelings, I'm not going to. And so we honor that. And we start to talk about that story and say, as you're talking about this, what of this have you shared with your partner before? Have you ever let him or her know about this part of you that's so worried that if I let you show if I show you my emotional side it's not going to be good for us the story I have 
growing up is that it's not good for the family. If one person shares their emotions too much, it takes up too much room or it puts too much strain. And that's what I, that's what I'm worried will happen here. Have you ever talked to him or her about that? Mm-hmm. What would it be like to share a little bit of that right now? And we're moving into a place where we can start to see, how, can we create some flexibility in these really important protective strategies we've developed around this, but have shown up in the present relationship in a way that maybe isn't serving our needs for connection and intimacy? And can we see if we can find some ways to make it safe enough to put down some of those strategies that have protected us in the past and be a bit more present here and say, I'm going to open up my heart here. I'm going to share this with you. And knowing, and me as a therapist, knowing that we're hardwired, that when someone shares their heart with me, I want to move closer, right? Okay. And then in the attachment contexts, that our partner wants to move in and reach out and say, oh, honey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And I want to know that part of you. Yeah. And it's okay for you to be who you are here with me. Yeah, I can really see how important this is to do with your partner. Yeah. I mean, in relationship. This yeah. really can't be done alone. Yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the tricky thing. And, I'll, you know, for me, that was the light bulb moment of therapy for me is I realized that for lots of good reasons, I had cultivated, similar to you, this idea that my emotions, I need to take care of on my own. And the best way to take care of them is to put them in a box. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit overwhelming at the beginning to start to pay attention. Like, like there's a lot of data. It's like <laughs> opening like 500 tabs in an internet browser at once. I was like, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And yet I realized that the very mechanism in therapy because at the time that I was in therapy, I wasn't, I wasn't in a relationship. I was actually thankful not to be in a relationship at that point because of my history. But I was working with someone, right? It wasn't that we make sense of our emotions on our own. It's always a relationship that teaches us how to make sense. That's what, how kids learn. It's how we as adults, too, learn. Um, and that, that's the power of working with couples for me is that there's so much more healing that can happen in a room when one person is saying, they might talk to me in individual therapy about this all the day, day long, but going home and then being able to share that's a whole nother level. Right. But if your partner's right there and I say, do you think right now you could share that? Then there's an experience in the room that's different than everything else that happens out there. And it's a place where I've, we've cultivated enough safety to test that and to try that and then to start building from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's really good. How do you help uh, couples in conflict? Because I would assume that mm-hmm. would... You know, that's one thing to have maybe one have some heavy emotions. Yeah. But when they hit spots or, mm-hmm. um, you know, places of significant conflict, mm-hmm. how do you um, help both partners listen to each other mm-hmm. and maybe come to, mm-hmm. I don't know, resolution or what you would call it? But. Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. So like we were just saying a moment ago that one, the strategy you learned with your emotions growing up was that I need to put these in a box. I need mm-hmm. to take care of them myself. I don't know that I could go to anyone else with them. And that's a really common strategy. We actually kind of have learned that there's two predominant strategies for dealing with our emotions, especially in attachment relationships or in connection relationships. One is more like turning down the emotional music, putting it in a box, setting it aside. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to just like treat or compartmentalize this or move away from it because it's just too overwhelming. I'm not sure I'm going to get the help I need. And so it's just on me to figure out how to deal with this. The other strategy is a bit more um, turning up the emotional music. It's saying, Maybe I've had experiences in my family growing up that have told me I have to fight for the love and care 
I need or that when pe- when things get tough, people leave. And so it's really important to make things better before like things blow up, right? And there can be a bit of like, I'm going to make sure that I get the attention I need. I'm going to make sure nothing stays unresolved between us. I'm going to make sure that my needs get met because I don't know if I don't get big, if that won't happen. Mm-hmm. And so there can be a bit of two different types of strategies. And I'm painting with broad strokes here, mm-hmm. but... You could imagine that when that's a pretty common pairing is that one person's strategy is I'm going to turn down the emotional music and one person's strategy is I'm going to turn up the emotional music, both in the face of this is really hard. This is really difficult. I don't like feeling like we're in conflict. I don't like the distress it sends off in me. I don't like feeling like it's putting us at odds. And that when that kind of conflict takes place, our first move in therapy from an EFT perspective is to understand, okay, let's understand, let's fly on the wall. The three of us kind of see if we can step back from this and look at it almost like we look at a tennis match and say, what are the moves that happen here? Let's understand your particular pattern. Let's understand if I were there and I was watching you, how does it kind of loop? What do I do when I get stressed, when I get when we're in conflict? How do I move closer or further away from you? And what do you do in that place? And let's see if we can make sense of the pattern that starts to sweep the two of you up. Once we can start to notice and kind of flesh out, oh, that's the pattern. That's where we go. That's how we react and protect ourselves in these moments. Then let's see if we can call it out. Can we name it here in the room if it happens? Can we start to name it and notice it outside of therapy and stop it and say, okay, we know we don't want to do that. That is the place we go to when we feel like we don't know what else to do. But can we stop that? And then at the same time, can we in therapy start to build enough safety that we can set down those strategies and start to talk about What are the layers that are not getting talked about in that moment? What's happening inside of each of you that you mainly aren't sharing in that moment? That's usually 99% of the time related to connection and feeling Mm -hmm. like uh, maybe I don't feel like I'm enough for you in that moment. You got so mad at me when I came home late from that day and I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm a really shitty spouse. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't bear the idea of hearing that again. And I'm so worried at a heart level that you're just one of these days gonna be like, you're done with me, right? Or we just had our third baby And I don't even notice you looking at me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I get so frustrated every time you make another plan for us to go out for dinner with your boss because I don't know what to wear. And I don't even know if you're attracted to me anymore. And I see the ways you laugh and engage with all the other women at the table. And I don't know if you want that for me, right? Mm -hmm. And if we can start to make space to be able to talk about those kinds of things, then that's a place where there's a lot more resource and a lot more room for intimacy and connection and reassurance that we're gonna be okay. Because yeah. if we're both really fighting about connection, then that means we're both wanting to be connected and we can reassure each other there. Yeah, and that there's real pain there. Yeah. I mean, and to be able to verbalize that to one another right. seems pretty important. Yeah, because yeah. that's really where intimacy builds, right? right? It's in this shared experience and specifically vulnerable shared experience mm-hmm. that when we can be honest, even when it's a bit scary, that's what cultivates us being kind of a different relationship than anything else I have with someone else out there. Yeah, yeah. I've just been recently reminded. Just I've been studying the Enneagram, mm. but um, just about how we're all suffering in our own way. I mean, we all have battles that we're trying to work through, and mm-hmm. for all different reasons. Yeah. But just being able to share uh, from a vulnerable place, so the other person can understand and have compassion on one another you know but if we're always trying to like bury the emotion or shove it away or you know be uh, maybe louder than we need to be Mm -hmm. um, it's just hard to connect yeah hard to yeah hear each other 
And that's the place where you asked the question earlier about how do we start to rebuild trust in our emotions, right? Mm -hmm. If I start to have an experience that when I open up to my partner and it draws in, share these emotions that I've told myself aren't, aren't helpful or are risky to talk about or pay attention to, and all of a sudden they start to cultivate something different in our relationship, then those emotions don't feel so risky or scary, and I might be able to trust them a bit more too. Yeah. So it has a protective element for both the relationship and each partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This morning, actually, I went for a run with one of my friends, and she could just tell that I had some things on my mind. And, you know, a lot of times I don't like to share a lot about emotions, but she really pushed me. She was like, I really want to hear what's going on deep inside of you and I thought okay I'm going to share but it is amazing when someone actually does ask Mm -hmm. you know and does take the time to ask and even in our busy lives that we have um, I'm not sure how much we're asking Mm -hmm. and sitting and slowing down Mm -hmm. and being with each other to ask yes what are you feeling Mm -hmm. how do you feel about this or that and uh yeah, just maybe, you know, for people listening that maybe have, aren't listening to their feelings, do you have some kind of maybe tools or tips mm-hmm. or just strategies to um, slow down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I tell almost all of my couples that I give them full permission to call for a timeout. If they find themselves in a pattern, like they will, right? Coming into my office, I often tell people, Uh, the measure of our success won't be whether you stop fighting after this. All couples fight. It's good that you fight. But can we we stop the bleeding and can you move towards a conversation that builds in repair? That's Mm -hmm. the measure of health. So I say to them in the early parts of therapy, if you find yourself in a moment when you two are tangled up in in it again, can you stop? Can either one of you find some way of saying like, hey, let's halt right here. We're just gonna keep we're just gonna keep doing this and it's not gonna end up somewhere good right now. I'm gonna go for a walk. I'm gonna, can you finish the dishes or can you go for a walk and uh, I'll go up and um, take a shower or what have you. I'm gonna slow myself down there. I'm gonna actually change my environment. I'm gonna give myself permission to pay attention first to like what are the words that I still wanna say, you know, that I'm like gonna run in my mind. And then even as I listen to that, are there other things that are underneath that? And as I slow down that kind of internal dialogue, are there some things that I maybe haven't said to my partner yet that might be there too? Mm-hmm. And then can we come back? Yeah. Can we then say, okay, it's been 30 minutes. Are you ready to talk? I'm ready to talk. I think this is what was going on for me. And can I share a little bit more? I know I showed you my frustration in that moment, and I think in many ways my frustration was justified, but there was also something else going on. And I wonder if there's anything else happening for you too. Being able to slow down and ask each other the hard questions, too. Yeah. You know, what's underneath that for you? Yeah. Or... Yeah. And it's so, I mean, it's, I think we all kind of know in many ways, especially if we've been, you know, married for a few times around, <laughs> around the sun, um, that we know, like, oh, that's what we do. Like, I know in my life, the moment I've gone into the kitchen to start cleaning and unloading the dishwasher and then reloading it and then scrubbing in the kitchen, I know mm-hmm. that we're in it. And I can say, okay. Mm-hmm. I could I could angry clean here, right? Or I could find some way. For me, it's like you going out for a run, or you know, getting some fresh air, 
um, something that will take me back into like, what am I noticing in my body? What am I noticing in my thoughts? What are the things that I'm wanting to say? And when I let myself finish saying those, what are the next things I want to say? Mm-hmm. And is there anything more vulnerable here that I could share? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think just couples, you know, we tend to get in our cycles and mm-hmm. it is nice to have some tips or tools to know how to navigate that because I think as we start exploring our emotions and our feelings and it and being able to put language mm-hmm. to it and then share it, mm-hmm. it's going to kind of rock probably the boat that you might be on <laughs> with your partner yeah. because um you know, it's possible that you are maybe listening and you notice you want to try to start doing things a little different. And then that different is going to create some tension, yeah, conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even being transparent about that, right? Of saying like, hey, I heard this podcast. I'm interested in this. There's some resources online, even if they wanted something further um, to go with. But to say to my, you know, my partner and say, hey, I heard this. It sounds like us. Like, it seems like we get caught in these patterns. And I want to try something different. Would you be willing to try it with me? So that it doesn't feel like it's just me trying to write the ship, but we are trying to write the ship there. That's good. Yeah, what are resources that Mm -hmm. you have that might help? Yeah, Um, a couple that I think are really great for um, those who are readers is Sue Johnson's books. Uh, She is the founder of Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy, and she's written two books particularly that I think are um, phenomenal for couples who are wanting to get a sense of how could we start to have some of these conversations at home. The first is Hold Me Tight, Mm. um, which is split into two parts. The first part is um, a little bit more the nerdy, geeky part, which is the background of, like I I went over very quickly, um, (laughs) attachment theory and emotion theory, um, but she gives a little bit more of the background of that and the backbone of it in the first part and gives a map of um, what she says is the new science of love. And then the second um, two-thirds of the book, it's not quite half, um, are seven conversations that start to walk couples through a process very similar to EFT that starts to notice, okay, what is, she uses the language of a dance. We're talking about cycles or patterns today. It's all the same. Um, what, what's our dance? When we start to get into it, what do I notice that you do? What do I notice that I do? What am I saying to myself about the relationship in that moment? What are you saying to yourself about that relationship in the moment? Could we start to identify this and name it? And then could we start to peel back the layers and talk a little bit more about the tender spots that active, get activated in each of us here? Maybe even talk about how to forgive injuries if there's been breaches of trust in the back in the past of our relationship, how to talk about that. So she walks through that and hold me tight. The other resource um, is Love Sense, which is her more recent book. It's also written for um, couples could read it, but it's also written individuals could read it to get to know a little bit more about like what are the messages I carry with me about how to connect in relationships? What are the things I learned in the family I grew up in or in dating or past marriages that I kind of have learned about and are those messages that serve me or not Um, so that's another resource too it's a great book it just has fewer exercises that are um, designed for couples to sit down with together that's great well thank you thanks for being on this podcast and sharing with us uh, just tools and tips and helping us uh, connect to our emotions and have healthier relationships So I just do really appreciate the work that you do and that you sit with couples through this and individuals. It's Mm -hmm. a very meaningful, very important work in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as we close, what are three regular practices that keep you healthy? Hmm. 
Well, I'll start, since we've been talking about relationships, I'll start with um, a practice that my husband and I have. Um, we actually came to it from a colleague of mine. Uh, she called it her state of the union, which we took. Mm. I love it. Um, but basically, it's a conversation we have on or around our anniversary every year where we take stock. Um, we have kind of a few buckets where we take stock on how we're doing in our sexual connection, how we're doing in our financial lives, how about in our relationship to friends and family, um, our professional goals and supporting each other in that way. And we just take stock of where we were last year and where we want to go this next year. Mm-hmm. And and it's a really lovely conversation for us to kind of globally not lose sense of each other, right? Mm-hmm. To stay kind of in um, and to use that marker to do so. It also um, paves the way that when we set goals out of that, that, you know, we just had an anniversary last month, that when we go on a date night, now we can check in and be like, how are we doing, really? Like, how are you doing? Um, personally, how's this week? How's this month? And how am I doing? But then how are we doing? And it gives us a platform for that conversation to not feel so big, but to say, these are the things we said we wanted to kind of like keep on our radar um, out of that place. And a year is, you know, enough time to be working on that, but not feel like it's so big. And we can tune back into that quite quickly and feel like we're doing some preventative work. So we don't get to a place where all of a sudden it feels like we're out of sync with each other, but we've had this regular check-in with one another. That's great. The other thing that I do regularly is I run like you. It's a place where I feel like it's, it, it's been, I've had a relationship with running for, gosh, a decade and a half now. Mm-hmm. And it's changed quite a bit in that 15 years. Um, but it's a place I can reliably go to to know that I'm going to get back in my body in a way when I can get kind of heady or um, I've had kind of a lot on my mind, um, either work-wise or something's going on in um, my personal life that's just got me like turning things over. Getting back in my body always starts to feel like, okay, it's coming back mm-hmm. um, to me. It's also a place where I get to test what it feels like to feel strong and to push my limits a little bit and pay attention to the signals when my body's saying, no, you need to like slow down a little bit here and maybe take a rest day and those kinds of things. So it's a place where I, I find even, it dovetails nicely with paying attention to my emotions, I guess is what I would say, um, because it, it brings me back to paying attention to the very basics of my body, um, practicing when it feels strong and pushing and also practicing what it looks like to not push so hard. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So that's two. Third one. Uh, I w- I've been in private practice for coming up on three years. And three years ago, when I decided to launch, um, I knew that there was a lot of talk in my field about how lonely it can be uh, to be in private practice. And I didn't want that to be my story. And certainly, as, as after all that I've said about connection and the power yes. importance of it, it felt especially important to walk the walk there and to have some community in that. Uh, so I approached a couple of uh, colleagues who were in a similar place, launching or um, soon to be launching, to see if we could form a consultation group and to continue to grow with one another, to make sure we're giving our clients the best care we can, and to have meaningful community in this work and, and not feel like we're in this all on our own, that we're not islands. And that's been such a rich uh, source of support um, and care for me, and I'm so thankful for it. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So how can people connect with you? Yeah. So they can find me online. Um, I have a website, annkrowell.com. I'm on Psychology Today as well. Um, And they can reach me um, by phone or email, which are both on my website. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Balanced by Beth is a podcast to inspire women to live strong. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personal medical advice.